This episode of Dance Lives in Detroit is presented by Collective Sweat Detroit. CSD is a community-led collective of dancers interested in advancing the rigor, relevance, and accessibility of dance in Detroit. Visit their website at www.collectivesweatdetroit.org for more information on their weekly classes, their residency program, and so much more. Hello and welcome to Dance Lives in Detroit. I'm your host, Brianne Bird de Oliveira. Today with me, I have a extremely special human. She's a Michigan native. She holds both a BFA from Marygrove College and an MFA from NYU Tisch in dance. She's currently an adjunct lecturer at Oakland University. She's also a founding member of Collective Sweat Detroit. Welcome, Teresa Mueller. Hi. (laughs) How are you you. doing today? Wow, that made me sound like so professional. It's because you are. (laughs) You really are. We all we all are. We need to keep telling ourselves that. Yeah. This should be my new like 2020 mantra. Yes. I mean, it's just I feel like it's specifically so hard for dancers. It's like we're not enough, but we do like five things at one time. We do so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's start from the beginning. How did you get into dance? What's the beginning story all the way back? Well, to be completely honest, I was, I think, four years old the first time my parents put me in a dance class. And honestly, I think it was just like glorified babysitting, which might be an insult to my parents to say that. But (laughs) I think it was just nothing more than trying to find an activity to keep me active or just something for me to do. And I just always stuck with it. I really didn't do too much with it, though. I just took your average once a week recreational class. Like I started with tap and then moved into jazz and just kept progressing like that. I'm at a very recreational state until I was maybe I think I was 16. I don't think I actually got serious with dance and started to take it more seriously until I was much older, like 16 or 17. So I was really just taking, like I said, one recreational dance class a week for the first 16 years of my life. So when you were 16, did you just increase the number of classes you were taking? How did that change for you at that time? Um, I was so I was on my high school dance team. Uh, Palms, let's be honest. I was too scared to do mine for some reason. I don't know why. (laughs) I go, I, when I talk about it, I call it dance team because in my mind that sounds like so much cooler, but let's be real. It was the palm squad. (laughs) So I was doing palm squad, uh, just to do like a school activity because I wanted to like make more friends at school. And while I was on that and I was 16, my coach brought in a dance teacher and I was just super enthralled with what she was doing. And she happened to teach at a studio and I just told my mom, like, I want to go there. So she was like, all right, let's make it work. And so I transferred to that studio and drove really far um, multiple days a week and started taking more classes. And so it was, I think I would say because of that, that motivated me to do a lot more because I was really interested in what was being presented in front of me. That's so great. You had that chance. Yeah. So then uh, moving then out of high school and graduating, when did you know that the dance was the path for you? Uh, it still didn't happen right away. Oh, okay. Where did <laughs> yeah. that path take you? I'm definitely not someone who's like, I've always been passionate about dance. It's always been my thing. I mean, it has, but... But we're also humans and we have other interests, which yeah. we often forget as dancers. Well, I didn't even know what those interests were, to be completely honest. So I went to college because I was told I had to go to college. 
And I actually started, I did my freshman year of college at Oakland University, which is funny because that's now where I'm an adjunct professor. Interesting um, full circle. Yeah, right? It's funny. I had the same like student ID number and everything. Oh, that's like funny. when I came in the first day to teach, they were <laughs> like, we can't, they, for some reason the system won't let us give you, um, they call it a Grisnet ID over there because they're the Grizzlies. I know, I almost went there for a hot yeah. second too. <laughs> so they're like, but the computer for some reason won't let us give you a Grisnet ID. It says that you already have one. Have you been here before? And I was like, well, yeah, I did two semesters maybe 10 plus years ago. And they're like, oh, that's why. The system never forgets you. And I was like, that's amazing. I wish I had a memory like that. Um, but yeah, so I have this the same number and everything. Did you go there for a dance or did you go there for something else? No. So like I said, I just was going to school because I was told I had to go to college and figure out how I was going to support myself. And Girl, I can have a whole separate podcast on the could. amount of tracks really and could. things that I've been on. And just <laughs> so all I'm the right things with you. that artists have been told like... That's not, you like, you can't support yourself on this. You have to find a real job. Or it's like a finite amount of time for your career. So any young dancers who are listening to this, hopefully, uh, just know your path can take multiple ways and it's okay. Oh, yes. <laughs> and we will get there. My, I like, I never thought I would be doing all the things I'm doing today. So, so yeah, I was just a floating non-declared major for two whole semesters. Yeah. So full, a full year, just like being in that non-committal space and not knowing what I really wanted to do or not that I, I learned what I wanted to do but I couldn't figure out what other hobbies I really had to be super passionate about and so it was that whole year of just floating and seeing all these other people with declared majors who seemed to really know what their passion was that made me realize dance was really my passion as well so I think I just wanted to have a fresh start. I was like, okay, I finally decided that this is what I'm going to do. Whether I'm supported in it or not, I'm going to pursue dance. And so I think I just felt like I needed a fresh start. So I was like, I'm going to leave Oakland and I'm going to find somewhere else so that I can just like have a clean slate. That's understandable because mm -hmm. they do also have a pretty good dance program, which is also why you're there teaching. Yeah. So then um, did you directly transfer to your next university, Marygrove? I did. So I had a really great job teaching in a dance studio. And since I was just deciding like, yes, dance is what I'm going to do, I wasn't ready to totally just run away. I knew I wanted to continue to stay local in the metro Detroit area. And I didn't want to leave the job I was at. So I literally just went to my computer one day when I made this decision and I Googled dance programs in Metro Detroit because, there, you know, I knew of you of them. And obviously I was at Oakland and I had heard of Wayne State, but Mary Grove popped up on the computer. And I was like, I've never heard of this place. Like, what is this? So I dove into the website and just really, so I just dove right into the website and really explored everything that they had to offer um, on the internet and presented it to my mom at the time because I just I was still living at home I didn't move away and I was like hey they have a show at this school they have one last dance performance and one last audition before the season is over and they get ready for next fall I was like can I go to it like can you come with me like can we go see this concert so I went to it and you know the audition was first they set it up really well where you go and you audition and you take class with all of the students now, Mary Grove College was very tiny. <laughs> so when I say you're taking class with the whole department, there was maybe 30 people in the room. Oof. It's a very small program, yeah. which was a big draw for me, to be honest. And so you go and you take class with everyone and, you know, you do your little combinations of ballet and jazz and modern and all of that. And then you go straight to the concert. 
So you got to not only take class and learn from everybody and be surrounded by everybody who you would be with every single day, but then you got to directly see and immediately see what they do all year. It's a really nice setup, yeah. And get to see a concert right away. Um, So that's really, I think, what um, drove it home for me was seeing the concert and um, the work that they were presenting. And I was just like, yeah, I want to do that. So I thankfully got in with some scholarship, which was great because I was transferring. Well, I was transferring from a public university to a private university. Mm. Well, not even university; it was a college. But so you mentioned that you really liked the the smallness of the department. Was there any other features or things that you really enjoyed during your time at Marygrove? Oh, my whole time at Marygrove, I really, yeah, I really enjoyed how small it was. You got tons of personal one-on-one attention. From, because all of your class sizes were small. And I'm not even just talking about the dance department classes. I'm even talking about the academic classes. Um, because the when I was a student there, um, I think the entire college only had maybe 3,000 students. So with however many majors and classes they offered, it was that tiny. Everything was very personal and one-on-one. And I just felt like I learned a lot that way. Because you could receive a lot of correction and attention and... It just always felt like your teachers were 100% on your team. Like everybody wanted you to succeed. And I really appreciated and thrived in that kind of environment. That's such a great feeling. Yeah. It really is. And I've always been, for whatever reason, and I don't know what this is about me, but I've always been someone who throws themselves into unknown territory and just like figure out how to thrive and survive for some (laughs) reason in like 100% chaos and stress. So I know I've seen it in action. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't, I, I like, I could, I probably need both hands to count how many times I've done that to myself. Um, so going to a school where I knew no one, I knew not a single soul in the dance department. I had no familiarity with any of the professors. I knew absolutely no one and just figured out how to survive in that kind of environment. And I loved it. I loved it so much. And everybody who was there was just like somebody to learn from. And it was beautiful. That's really great to hear. Yeah. And it's super sad now since the college is closed. It's, it's so sad. It's so sad. And it's they such a beautiful campus too. I mean, yeah. we were lucky to be there for CSD for as long as we were. Right. That's true. But yeah, um, sad to see that chapter close. So it did It sound like you had such a, a great experience. Was there anything that you felt that the program was lacking for you? At the time, I can't say that I thought I was missing anything or lacking anything. Um, maybe stepping out of it now, Marygrove was very much, they called it a conservatory. So you were trained to be a dancer. You were trained to be a performer and to leave those doors and leave that building and go get a dancing job of whatever kind. So there wasn't a lot of buildup for maybe many other careers, like if you wanted to be a writer, like, you know, in a dance critic, or if you wanted to be a choreographer or company director or whatever other realm. And Anything outside of yeah, performing, basically. it was very much conservatory-based. And I wanted to dance, so that I had no problem with that. So it was great. Yeah. I mean, I had very much an interest in choreography at the time as well and really enjoyed creating dance, but I knew I wanted to actually perform, so I had no problem with it at the time. But looking back on it now, I feel like that really did probably limit the students that came and applied to the school 
who may have had other interests as well, but we're not entirely aware of what's out there. Yeah. Cause I know for me, I'm still knowing. figuring things out too. Exactly. Just not knowing what your other options are and thinking that physically dancing is your only choice. Mm-hmm. So, so you graduate, I graduate. where do you land next? Um, well, I 100% wanted to go straight back to school once I graduated. I wanted to go straight and get a master's. So that was always something I wanted to do. And looking back on it now, so that was 10 years ago. I'm aging myself right now. I graduated in 2010 from there. And I always knew I wanted to continue learning. So I had the idea of going straight to grad school. I even looked up programs that I was really interested in and I presented them to my department chair because I needed some recommendation letters and help. And she didn't um, squash the idea of it. She was very supportive of it and was like, yes, I think that's definitely something you can achieve. But she highly encouraged me to wait and do what my body was capable of doing now. And, you know, school will always be there. And I very much looked up to her. So I followed that advice. And I am so thankful that I did. Because looking back on it now, actually, um, most grad schools won't take you right after undergrad. They actually want to see that you've had some type of real world experience and some type of professional whatever, whether it's performance or writing or choreographing. They actually don't want to take fresh, spunky 22-year-olds who have just graduated from undergrad. So her advice was, A, not only helpful in that way, but B, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Like going out into the real world for a while first really helped me narrow a focus mm-hmm. and just, yeah, just live my life. Like get out of school for a bit and live yeah, my and life. Yeah, and for at least for me, I know it's just so weird to shed those constraints. So you're like, oh my God, I can yeah. literally do whatever I want during my day. Yeah, when you're so <laughs> used to being a student, yeah, it's hard to get out of it. So And it's like for me, especially, I've also been learning, you know, you can still continue to be a student, but on your own terms. And it's just really hard to shift mm-hmm. that perspective. Yeah, you don't have to just learn in a school setting. There's people, the universe, everybody's here to teach us, so. I followed her advice and I took, I had a few offers, but I took one that was closest. Honestly, I took it because it was closest to home. (laughs) As you will slowly learn about me, I just can't seem to get away from Detroit. And I don't say that in a bad way. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't say that in any negative light. I just, but I just can't seem to get away from this city. I had like such a dilemma about being too far away. And I took a job offer to be in the second company for Dayton Contemporary Dance because it was only a four or five hour drive away. (laughs) Still far, I know enough to be on my own, but Mm -hmm. still pretty close to home. Um, Yeah, so one of my driving reasons for going down there as well was um, I was a big fan of William B. McClellan Jr. Um, I had worked with him and some summer programs, like I went away when I was in college to Point Park University and did that summer intensive and I got to work with him there. Um, they, Mary Grove brought him in a couple of times to teach master classes when Dayton Contemporary was in the area and I was just always a big fan of him and a big, so that was a big pull and a force for why I wanted to go be a part of that company as well. So I spent a season there, um, hung out in Ohio. Uh, from there I then did some auditions and outside work and got a job down in Texas I moved my life. A little bit of a further cruise. Moved my life all the way to Houston. Danced with a few companies down there. um, Adeum Dance and Sophania Dance. And Houston was not the city for me. 
Um, but not because of the dance scene. It was really just, oh God, I'm a Michigan girl. Mm -hmm. So like I'm used to winter. I'm used to fall. Miss Um, those seasons. Yeah. A little bit of cold is good for you. Right. Um, so, oh God, it was so hot. It was too much. I really strongly believe that you can only survive in Texas if you're from there. Mm, Like if you're born into that heat, it's like whatever. But if you're not, I don't know how people do it. I just couldn't handle it. I was quite a wimp. I kept a beach towel in my car 24 hours a day, (laughs) um, to like wipe myself down. It was really, it was really bad. So, uh, but yeah, I spent some time down there and really, um, uh, as we'll get to, I think, as we talk to like Collective Sweat and how that came Mm -hmm. to be, the environment in Houston is something that I still hold on to. Whether or not it's changed, I have not been back and that was probably seven years ago now, but it was a very collaborative community. I had never been in a space or a place where there were so many artists doing their thing. And all the dancers were just kind of like a giant shared pot, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like everyone was project-based. So it would be like... Freelancing it up. Yeah, like, oh, Sophonia is doing a project. Come work with me for three months. And then when that was done, it would be like, oh, this person over here is doing a project for four months. Let's go over there. And I mean, obviously everyone auditioned for their parts Mm -hmm. and stuff. And, you know, it was partially who you knew, but it was just so collaborative. And I was... so much more open and less limiting. And everybody knew each other Mm -hmm. and everybody was friends. You could name drop at any moment and be like, oh, yes, you know, I just had coffee with them the other day. And everybody knew (laughs) each other and everyone was friends. And it was just really great. I super enjoyed that. Um, Again, just couldn't handle the Texas heat. I wasn't strong enough for it. It's okay. Enough for everybody. Yeah. So then after two years of being down there... I, I made, so when I was at Mary Grove, made a friend, her name is Tracy Halloran, had, you know, we've been friends ever since. And I always told her that whenever she was ready to do her own thing, because starting a company has always been an idea and a seed of hers. Um, so I had told her before I graduated undergrad, whenever she was ready to start a company, I would be there. Just give me the green light. So I was feeling a little restless in Texas and ready to get out of that heat. And she happened to call me one day and she basically told me like, okay, I'm ready. This is the green light. And I was like, all right, here I come. So I'm back. I came back. (laughs) I came straight back. I fit whatever could fit in my car, sold everything else, drove my... You can swear it's fine. I can. Okay. (laughs) You see me hesitate. (laughs) I drove my ass all the way back to Michigan and, you know, came straight back. And part of me, like I said, I I just can't seem to get away from Detroit. So part of me was ready for that but also I really just did it for her I moved all the way back just for Tracy Halloran and I helped her start her company Pink Texture Dance Detroit was working with her for a little bit just like as a soloist to help her get her feet wet and off the ground and then she gathered more students and dancers that she knew and has formed the company that it is today so I was like well if I'm coming back for this I'm gonna immerse myself as much as I possibly can I was teaching at studios in the evening to, you know, fund all of this, but I started dancing with Kin Texture. I got involved with Pure Existence um, in Ann Arbor, which, oh, they have a new name. They're Jody Randolph Dance now, I believe is the name. I was working with them. Um, in my absence, a company, um, Art Lab J, had come into Detroit and started establishing some dance opportunities. So I got involved with them in different ways by um, presenting work in their choreographic festivals. And I was just freelancing all over the place, like really wearing myself into the ground, but was probably the happiest I had ever been. Yeah, I feel like freelance, especially (laughs) because that's my current vibe. um, It's a double-edged sword because you're doing 
a hundred percent of all the things you want to do, mm-hmm. but then it's like 150% of all those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so much like all 17 things that you have your hands in is 150% all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was super tired and super overworked, but again, just probably the happiest because I was doing dance all the time. I'm like, this is what I've been working. I've been working towards doing dance 24 seven. And here I am. And I was super, super happy. So after about a year being back, I was like, maybe this is the time I got that grad school bug again. I was like, mm-hmm. maybe this is it. I was like, I came back here. I'm really happy. And I still have the bug to want to go to school. So I feel like I should jump on it while it's here. So I was like, maybe in another three years, I won't want to do it again. Like, I'm a strong believer. Like, if you have the drive to do something, you should probably do it. Or that, you know, it may never mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, maybe this is the time. The only master's program in something dance related at the time was at U of M. They were the only school that had uh, an MFA in dance. And I had just moved my life back here after traveling around for quite a bit. So I was like, okay, I guess that's where I'm going to apply. And I was really excited about it, you know, looked up the program, read all about it and did that. Now on a whim, she's coming back, Tracy Halloran, she's back. On a whim one day, she told me, you know, I think you should keep your options open. Like, why don't you apply to NYU? Mm -hmm. And I remember like looking at her like, why would I do that? (laughs) Like, I, I moved back to Detroit. I love this city. I'm super happy with all the things I'm doing. And if I go to U of M, if I get in, like I can keep doing all of these things. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, grad school will take over my life. Yes, it's really busy and um, it'll be very consuming. But like I I can still do most of the things I'm doing. Like, why not? She was like, no, I just I just really think you should. She's like, I I just have a feeling. I have a feeling. And so I was like, all right. So I essentially only applied to NYU to appease her and um, was like, all right, whatever. I was like, well, I already have all the materials and the documents. Like I did all the literature that the application over here was asking for. So you really just have to copy and paste it. Might as well. Might as well do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh The worst they say is no. Um, I I think I applied to one other university along the way as well, just because it was financially a great option. Mm -hmm. Um, But really I was just vying at those two. U of M's program, they only take three or four candidates every year like Mm -hmm. it's very small limited yeah but for good reason because you know they have that program for what and they have the reasons for why they do that and um so they narrowed it down I think to a final nine or ten and brought in only the nine and ten candidates for interviews and um, to teach mock classes and give it like a campus tour and all of that so I was made it down to that final nine, 10 people. Mm -hmm. And then from there, they choose the three or four that they're maybe going to take into the program. Um, So I got waitlisted. I didn't make it into the two or three um, that they choose um, for the year, but I got into NYU. And maybe I'm dreaming this, but I'm pretty sure U of M sent some kind of email, you know, with the rejection, like you've been waitlisted, you know, Mm -hmm. if somebody defers, we will contact you and potentially offer you um, a position for the year. And I'm pretty sure it said something too, like, but if you would like to try again next year, you know, apply again, like, please let us know. And not that they would fast track, but it just, I don't know, they gave some, it's, I think it gave some kind of promise, like, you know, it, if you want to apply again, we're here for you, unless mm-hmm. I'm dreaming this. Um, but, and, but I was like, oh, but I'm just so ready to go now. And well, thank God Tracy Halloran told me to apply to another school and I got in. So I was like, I guess, I guess I'm going yeah. to New York. <laughs> like I said, I keep coming and going. 
Yeah. I had been going to New York since I was 18. I was teaching at a dance studio and um, one of the teachers would go every summer and just like take classes and, you know, stay current, stay relevant Mm -hmm. in her styles. And I started going with her once I turned 18. So I was very familiar with New York City and I very much loved it. I just never thought it would be somewhere I would ever live. But Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I guess this is the reason. This is a good excuse to move to New York City. So here I come. So yeah, I moved to New York. So what was that program like? Um, It was, so you know what? It was great because uh, like I said before with Marygrove, I was always interested in the fact that it was such a small program and you got so much personalized attention. Tish is the the exact opposite. Like it's a big school. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think they have like maybe 30 to 40 kids in each class. I'm talking about the undergraduates, but like yeah. it's huge. Um, but for the master's program, they take, I don't know, I think we had 13. So yes, that's much larger, but in the same sense, it still felt like a really small community. I took all my classes with the same 13 humans. Mm-hmm. Um, we did everything together and again, I, I loved that. So it felt like a small community. So oftentimes with like dance programs, cause you, you did graduate with just dance, correct? So that can be a very broad mm-hmm. in terms of the focus of the program. Um, so with a master's and an MFA, which path did you necessarily focus your studies on during that time? Yeah. At Tisch, the MFA program is just a master's of fine arts in dance. Um, I believe that is something they're working on right now. I feel like I heard that through the grapevine, that they're working to make more of a tract or a concentration. Um, but at the time when I was there, um, 2015 to 2017, it was just a master's in dance. But they did allow you some wiggle room to take courses based on what your interests were. So I went into it very much knowing at this time in my life um, that I was interested in teaching and pedagogy. Like education was very much my focus. So there were a few extra courses and things that I got to take um, to gear towards that and prepare myself towards a higher education job. Um, And then likewise, there were classes for my cohorts who wanted to do things like dance on film and create videos and movies. There were classes for um, the ones who wanted to do more choreographing and maybe start a company and, you know, have their own following. So yes, it was just a degree in dance on paper, but I got to do a little bit more um, and gear it towards what I was interested in, which again is another reason why I'm glad I waited because had I gone straight to a master's program out of undergrad, I probably would have jumped into something that would have kept me dancing or moved me towards choreography track. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm so glad I waited and realized like, no, education is really where my focus and my interest is because so much of life happened in that time. And so I got to yeah, really focus on uh, pedagogy craft, which is great. Yeah, that's good. It really sounds like you just had these like little points on your path that uh, keep bouncing you back and <laughs> forth and uh, on your yeah. as it gets going. Okay, so you finish your program. Yep. And where does your path take you? Does it lead you back to Detroit again? It sure did. <laughs> <laughs> this magical city brought me right back. There were many reasons as to why I decided to only be in New York for duration of the program and leave after that but I will just say again like yeah I just felt like Detroit is where I needed to be I've I've always just been very content with being able to do what I love 
and the cal I won't say caliber that's probably not, not the right word but I don't know how to say it other than like I never felt like I needed to like see my name in lights I never mm, felt like okay, I needed okay, to yeah. be famous mm-hmm. not saying that that's a bad thing um, for people that have those high ambitions and those high goals but that's just never been something that I personally needed I don't really like being the center of attention <laughs> Um, I would prefer to be in a group setting, which is also mm-hmm. what led my path in my younger years. Like I always wanted to work in a company as opposed to like a commercial track mm-hmm. because I liked being a part of a team and working with other humans and individuals as opposed to something that was like more about just putting myself out there mm-hmm. constantly, constantly, constantly. So New York, you are probably... Um, auditioning with and vying for one job position with 500 plus people like anything you want to do in New York City there's just so many other people that you're fighting against to get to where you want to be and I was like I just want to do what I want to do like why does there have to be so much competition involved in Detroit it is a much smaller pond and so I was like yeah I still want to be there so that was a big pull to come back. So I was like, ah, I just want to do what I love and I don't care about the the size of it or the magnitude of it per se. Oh, but like I, I 100% and I think that's why I've chosen to stay here as well is that mm-hmm. you can really feel the, um, yes, there's not as much competition because there's physically not that many bodies, but there's so much more freedom to do yeah. what you want to do, when you want to do it and how you want to do it. There's a lot of openness to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So you find yourself back in Detroit, and what's the next big project that lands on your plate? Hmm. Well, you're requiring me to think back three years ago, and that's like really hard. Um, summer 2017. I had so right before I moved back, I had to come home for a family wedding, and so I was like, "Well, while I'm here, I'm going to start looking for a place to live." Like I was kind of starting fresh, even though you know this is a home that I've always had. I was still coming back and starting very fresh. And so I came home for a wedding and was going to look for a place to live. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go out on a whim and reach out to somebody that I never had a chance to work with. I contacted Christy Faulkner and just kind of like sent her an email because I was kind of interested in what she was doing, um, which is a very much queer identified work, something I had never jumped into and um, something I had never explored before being um, a gay female myself, which is something I discovered way later in life than I care to admit (laughs) my personal identity. So I never really explored that part of myself in my art. It was always very much separate. Mm -hmm. So since I was like, well, like I said, I'm always, I'm fine. always find myself jumping into situations where I know nobody and have to just, you know, figure out how to float. So I was like, why not do it again? So on a whim, I emailed Christy Faulkner and I was like, I'm going to be home for two days. I have to go to a wedding. And I was wondering if you would just like to meet for coffee. And thankfully she said, yeah, let's do it. So we had a coffee date and just chatted about, you know, what we were doing in life and where we were in life and what we were seeking to do and just kind of ended it like that. And she First of all, I was supposed to treat her to coffee and she ended up treating me to coffee. So she's a really nice lady. She's you didn't know. And she left our conversation with, you know, when you're back in a couple of months, contact me again and, you know, we'll see where we're at. Well, two weeks later, maybe three weeks later, she ended up contacting me 
and said, you know, I have this project coming up. I'm restaging an old work um, for this collaborative event. And um, would you be interested in being a part of it with me? And she kind of like went out on a limb for me because we'd only had that coffee date. She had Mm -hmm. never seen me dance, never seen me perform. And we really knew nothing else about each other. But we both were just like, yeah, let's go for it. So when I moved back, I already had the promise of that. And that was really honestly all I had lined up. I just kind of like came back to be back because like I said, I love Detroit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just jumped right into the process with um, Christy. So then you're working with Christy and not to speak for you, but I'm sure you were starting to feel how we have this, even though we have a lot of freedom in Detroit, we often have, you know, lack of consistent classes. You know, everyone's putting on their own company classes and whatnot. So there are opportunities, but no space like in New York, you can just go to a Broadway dance center, or if you're in LA, you can go to a Millennium or in Chicago, you can Mm -hmm. go, you know, to Dovetail or something like that. So to assess this need, you and a bunch of other <laughs> lovely humans come together and form Collective Sweat Detroit. Yeah. So I was hoping you can begin to talk a little bit about the beginnings of that. Yeah. So I say this all the time. If you were, so there are six of us who co-founded Collective Sweat Detroit. And if you were to ask any one of us like, oh, how did, how did Collective Sweat come to be? I think all of our answers would be vaguely different, but also the same at the same time, which mm-hmm. is weird, but it's very true. So... I very much attribute how some of it came to be because I was working with Christy Faulkner. And through this project that I came straight home to work on, I met Maddie, I met Miriam, and I met Sarah. And the four of us were all working on this one project together. And we ended up going on tour to a couple of cities. And so we had some very long car rides there and back um, because we went as far as Minneapolis. So that was like a 14-hour car ride. So we spent a lot of time together (laughs) and in those car rides, we just kind of started realizing that we had all the same ideas and the same um, like out there future goals uh, for our dance community. And we just kept spiraling into like different details and different thoughts and like, oh, we could totally do this. And Miriam also happened to be working with another Detroit based artist, Jennifer Harge. And she mentioned, she was like, you know, I think there are a couple other people working on this other project with me who would be very interested in this conversation. Yeah, Miriam set it all up and we all met at her apartment. It was the day before Thanksgiving in 2017. So it was like November 22nd or something like that. It's weird that I know that off the top Mm -hmm. of my head. But I guess that's just how important (laughs) this all is to me, is that I remember the exact date of our first meeting. Very pivotal point. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, she brought in Audrey and Shanice and all six of us met and realized, again, we still had all the same ideas, the same thoughts, the same goals. Um, I know I talked very much about the different environments I had lived in between Ohio and Texas and New York and then also all the traveling that I got to do within that professional time and just experiencing places that had these, these hubs and these sanctions and places to go. And yeah, we just kind of actualized Collective Sweat Detroit. I mean, it didn't have a name for quite some time after that, but yeah, we just put it all together and we just realized, you know, like there's so many people out there doing their thing. Like, why can't we also do our thing? And I think that was a big driving force because mm-hmm. everybody's like, oh, well, can we do it? And of and, course, just you know, do like, it. Yeah, it's and like every, did yeah. it. <laughs> everyone has ideas, but it's whether or not you put them into action. So we were like, you know what? Let's just put them into action. And if we fail, we fail, mm-hmm. you know, but at least we'll be you know, we wanted to start with giving weekly dance classes so that there was a place for people to train. 
mostly just because the six of us wanted to be training. And affordability. That was always a really big thing too, right? Yeah, very much so. So we were like, if nobody comes and we fall flat on our faces, at least we're giving class to each other because we Mm -hmm. decided we would rotate, you know, the six of us who was going to teach class each week and then the rest of us would take it. And if other people came, great. But if they didn't, then, you know, at least we got to take class from each other. You know, we tried to be positive about it in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But thankfully, we launched our first class January 10th, 2018. And people came. I was there. I was one yeah, of them. Yeah, you were. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So people came and we were like, oh, I guess we can do this. Mm-hmm. So yeah. My philosophy is always if you've thought of it, someone else has thought of it and they mm. definitely want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we've just been able to maintain, which is great. Okay. So, you know, you're starting classes, you're getting going. And of course, uh, another major issue for dance and any other art form is funding you find yourself applying for grants and then what lucky thing happens (laughs) so when we first started all six of us each invested twenty dollars so that we could pay our first I think two months of rent um, to have a space to hold these weekly classes and you know we realized we can't do that forever like it was a great way to start but we can't do it forever and you know we were kind of maintaining off of everybody's five dollar drop-in fees but we quickly realized we needed to find a way to fundraise and make money. So on a whim, I don't know who came across it first, but a lot of our friends in the community and people we consider colleagues in our dance world had applied for a night arts challenge grant in the past and um, and been successful and won and been able to fund projects they were doing. So after only being um, an organization for, I think, four or five months, we figured why not go big um, because the Night Arts Challenge Grant is can be a very large sum of money, which is amazing, but also a really big feat to tackle if you're a young organization the way that we were. But we were like, eh, let's just go big. You know, first time around, let's just you know shoot for the stars. So we applied for a Night Arts Challenge Grant and ooh, out of nowhere, we won. So that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we weren't the only ones if you're not familiar with Night Arts, but 20, there were 25 winners, but out of, I think, close to 700 applications. So that was probably, honestly, I think that might be like personally, like one of my biggest accomplishments to date, <laughs> just like in it's, my no, personal it's a big life. One. I remember <laughs> seeing it pop up on social media and I was just like applauding behind yeah. my computer screen. I was so proud of y'all. Yeah. I was like, I have That was so great. We were so enthralled. Um, I personally received the phone call. Um, Mm -hmm. Mine was the number and the address that we had written down as the contact for whatever reason at the time. And so I personally got the phone call to say that, you know, Collector Sweat Detroit is a winner and we are so happy to fund your project. And I just started crying on the phone. And (laughs) I would have been jumping out of my skin. People people who don't know me, I'm not a crier. (laughs) So um, I was just so excited. And and then I got to pass the news on to everybody else. And it was just amazing. Yeah. So we received a $20,000 matching grant um, from Night Arts. And what that means is that we decided for it to be a two-year project grant. So from... Well, we received it in 2018, but the project began in 19. So from 2019 all the way through the end of 2020, we have this two-year time period to raise $20,000, and then the Night Art Foundation will match that $20,000. So in the end, we would hopefully theoretically have $40,000 to do our programming for two years. And so with this massive influx of finances, what does help enable CSD to do and expand? 
Oh, so much. Um, like I said, we were sustaining weekly drop-in classes because people were paying $5. We weren't paying ourselves a cent. We were all teaching class for free just to keep things going. But so with the night art grant, we were able to finally pay ourselves for our administrative time. We were able to finally bring in other people from the community and pay them for their work because it is quite a tragedy and quite atrocious that people assume that artists will work for free and do so much stuff for free. So because they're doing what they love. Right. Like it's a passion. Why do you need to get paid for it? Because you need Um, to eat and pay your bills and X, Y, and Z. You know, hopefully, I mean, thankfully that conversation has begun. So hopefully things are changing, but we never wanted to do that to anyone. So we were teaching ourselves solely so that no one was getting paid and we didn't ask anybody to work for free. Um, So the grant allowed us to now, now we have a different teacher every single week, which is like a big cool thing about Collective Sweat Detroit that not only are we offering classes for people to continue training, but we're also offering classes so that teachers can train too. Um, So teachers can be practicing their pedagogy and have like a safe space to practice. Mm -hmm. And so the grant allowed us to be able to do that. It also has allowed us to establish artist residency programs so that dance makers in the city and outside of the city have a space and funding to make work, practice dance, literally do whatever they want with the space and the time that we're allotting with a stipend. And we invite them to come teach class for us so that we can continue to rotate around the community in that way. And it's, yeah, it's just really been able to help us expand, broaden the collective sweat horizons that I don't think we really anticipated when we had that first initial meeting on November 22nd, 2017 (laughs) in Miriam's apartment. So (laughs) yeah, it's really allowed us to dream big which has been absolutely wonderful. So then dreaming even bigger, where do you see CSD rolling in the next five years? Oh boy. So like I said, (laughs) the grant will run out (laughs) and we need to have finished our fundraising efforts by the end of 2020. Gosh, which is now. This is (laughs) 2020. When did that happen? We're already there basically. When did that happen? (laughs) Uh, So right now we need to focus on being more financially stable and becoming our own nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Um, so with the grant, we've kind of been floating under their umbrella and haven't had to, you know, like put our big girl pants on and be our own in in nonprofit. But now we need to, we need to make that happen and make moves with that. So that's definitely a future goal and finding a more permanent space because we keep bouncing around from different locations in the city, but we need to find something a little more permanent. So it's definitely maybe like goal number one. That is good. Yeah. Do you have any final CSD thoughts you'd like to share? Hmm. If anyone has never been to a class with Collective Sweat Detroit or been to a fundraiser or anything that we've curated, please come and hang out with us. Um, You can learn everything you need to know at collectivesweatdetroit.org and send us an email. You'll most likely talk to me if you send an email, so I'm giving you a personal shout out right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So I think this is a good point to take a quick break and we will be back. Welcome back to Dance Lives in Detroit. I'm still here with Teresa Mueller. Okay, jumping back in, I would like to talk about 
your current job as an adjunct professor. Okay. So you're talking about in your history how pedagogy is something that's really been a driving force and very important to you. So I was hoping we can talk a little bit about what your current philosophies are, what you're currently interested in, and what you're doing at the university. Yeah, pedagogy and teaching is definitely a big interest of mine and definitely the focus I'm pursuing right now in my career and the foreseeable future. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I feel like if it weren't for the teachers that I've had in my life, I don't think I would be where I am today. I'm sure many other people would say mm-hmm, that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came from a pretty non-artistic family who didn't really know how to support what I wanted to do. Um, now they were very supportive. Like my just in a different way. Yeah, my mother and father were very supportive. Like they came to every performance I ever had. They cheered me on. They always supported with all the moves that I made and um, and doing dance and stuff. But it's definitely not a career path that they are familiar with. So it's like they didn't know how to support me, but they were going to support me. So that being said, if it weren't for the the teachers. Um, who had maybe been there and done that, I I don't know where I would be. And I had to kind of forge my own path in a lot of ways as well. So I just suddenly realized that, you know, I didn't always have somebody to help me figure out where to go and what to do. So if I could be that in somebody's life, I just feel like that my whole life would be super worthwhile. That is so interesting because like you said, I, I have a handful of teachers who have done that in my life mm-hmm. that it really just – it shapes you in a way you don't realize until you're walking down that path. Like for me personally, like I will shout out to the heavens there and back. Molly Shanahan is like my, been my saving yeah. grace. That's beautiful. Like I wouldn't be the human and mover I am today if it wasn't for her. Like I honestly don't know where I would have been after university. Yeah. You had a great teacher who yeah. kind of influenced so many paths. So I had found myself, so before I went to grad school, I'd found myself in a place where I was working pretty consistently with high school aged individuals and they would graduate and go to college graduate and go here graduate and do that and I was like well why do you have to graduate and go away like why can't I still be your teacher and I was just like really upset about it at some point like it just really got to me and I was Mm -hmm. like I want to I want to be a part of the after you know the next steps the next steps yeah so that was a big driving force again to go and get the master's degree um, so that I could have a higher education career and job so yeah, I find myself now at Oakland University. And how'd you land there? Um, so in 2015, when I was in grad school, the dance department at Oakland actually brought me in as a guest uh, to set a work on some of the students and then as well just kind of like do a full week residency. So I taught a bunch of the courses that they offer, like modern and improv, composition, and then had rehearsals every night and ended up creating a work on the students. Um, and then, you know, went back to New York and all of that. So I had always like remained in contact with Gregory Patterson, who is the chair of dance over there. And then a few of the other professors at the time. And, um, I, I don't know how, but word got out when I came back (laughs) after grad school and they needed someone to just teach a, um, it's actually a non-major dance class. They have this Fundamentals of Modern Dance that's open to anyone in the university for an art credit. And they had an opening for that and um, reached out to me because they heard someone heard I had come home. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And oh my gosh, I loved it. Teaching non-majors, if you've never done it, was actually, oh, it was so amazing <laughs> to teach people. 
Um, yeah. So like when I was doing my undergrad program, I was originally went to Wayne State. Well, not originally, but when I was at Wayne State, I started as a business major with a minor in dance and I was taking a non-majors class. And for me, that was a really great experience um, mm-hmm. just to be surrounded by you know, just other humans and other human bodies. Yeah. And that was one of the classes that actually made me, you know, want to switch back and continue my path as dance. So mm-hmm. I think it would be great to have had a teacher like you too, to, <laughs> Thank you. to Thank be you. so open in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So teaching people who were dancing for the first time as adults was a really wonderful experience and I enjoyed it so much. And, um, apparently they wrote at the end of the semester, some really great reviews because, the following fall, they asked me to come back. They're like, you know, this position is still available. Would you like to teach it again? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like I had a great time. And um, so I was just signed on to do that. And that was for this this fall that just happened. Mm-hmm. So in 2019. And then right before classes were about to start in September, um, they reached back out that um, they suddenly had some more availability. Um, there was a shift going on um, in the department with um, – the educators and they needed a few people to take over some extra courses. And so they offered me classes within the dance department, um, some modern and then a composition and improv course and the opportunity to choreograph on the students as well for the whole semester. So a little bit of an increase. Oh, so much more of an increase, (laughs) (laughs) but it was great. And I just said yes to everything. I was like, yeah, dove right in. Um, let me do this. I'm so ready. I'm so excited. Yeah, that was just this past fall and had the best experience and a great time. Really enjoying. I mean, technically, this is my first experience being super um, engulfed and interwoven. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Struggling for words all of a sudden. Uh, woven into a, the, a department in general. So, I mean, I'm still adjunct, but doing a lot of things. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. And um, I'm back again this semester, but just with a lighter load. I mean, I, I would say the only negative thing, and I really don't even totally consider it a negative thing about being adjunct is just that every semester can look so vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I went from teaching three courses and choreographing to this semester, I'm only teaching one class. And I mean, like I said, I'm not upset about it, so I wouldn't even really consider it a negative. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, being able to balance that financial difference from yeah. time to time. I feel like really for the dancers, only the only schedule we have is we don't have a regular schedule. We don't have a right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is no schedule. <laughs> so returning back to this past fall, um, I'd just like to talk about that choreographic residency that sure. you said you had. Just a little bit more detail about your process. What was the experience like? What was, you know, if there was a specific subject matter? Just let's dive in a little bit deeper. Well, I will say first that Jumping into that choreographic process was my first time being back in a choreographic process in quite some time. Um, I made a lot of work when I was in grad school. And then when I graduated, I suddenly became very scared, (laughs) like extremely terrified Mm -hmm. about creating dance and was like, I think I just need to take a step back. Like I just need to not like I was on a go, 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 you got to get this done. Like your grade depends upon it, depends Mm -hmm. upon it kind of mode for a while while I was creating in school. And then to not have those boundaries and like people guiding me, I guess, because my Mm -hmm. professors were very much there to guide you through the process. 
I suddenly got very scared. It could feel super daunting. Yeah. So daunting when you're like not doing it consistently. And like you said, it's just all you. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was very interesting because before grad school, I would crank out dances like nonstop, but I was mostly teaching at dance studios where pieces are three minutes and under and it's to everybody's favorite song on the radio and, you know, very much different. And then, you different know, vibe. moved to grad school where I was suddenly creating like full length works that were, you know, 15 minutes long. But again, very much guided and supported by the people around me. So when I graduated, I was like, oh, that that helpful, supportive environment is gone. I don't know how to create work anymore. Like, it's just gone. I was like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm just going to take a break. And so I very much stepped back from it. So coming into Oakland last semester and um, they asked me to create a piece, I very much really was going to say no. Um, I was like, I don't know if I'm ready. I was like, I mean, it's technically been, I guess, two years, but I still don't know if I'm ready. But I just threw, was like, just do it. Threw myself at it. It's like, again, sink there's, or swim again. there's no time but the present. <laughs> yeah, sink or swim as always. And so I threw myself into it and really had no idea forthcoming what I wanted to do other than I just really felt like I needed to work with a group of female identifying bodies. And so that was all I had. And we did an audition process for the department. And so I, you know, I did just that. I made sure I grabbed and nabbed only dancers who were female identifying bodies. And I ended up with five wonderful humans and I still was like, okay, now, now what do we do? Where do we go from here? (laughs) And it was during our first rehearsal that I realized because, so I was new to the department. Um, so it didn't hit me right away, but when we made time for our first rehearsal, I realized that the five ladies that I had in my cast really didn't know each other as well. Well, I didn't really know them and they didn't really know each other because I ended up having three first year students, one sophomore and one junior. Mm-hmm. So they really didn't know each other because um, they take classes as what I would call like a cohort over mm-hmm. there. So it's like all the first years take class together, all the second years take class together and so on and so on. So even class wide, it's hard for them overlap, to know each yeah. other. Yeah. Um, unless they're doing it like outside. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, cool. We're all in the same boat. So let's just have a chat. I think our first three rehearsals, we mostly just sat and had conversation. And I would ask them questions that would like spark the conversation. And then it would prompt me to ask this and prompt me to ask that. But for a good chunk of weeks, we really just sat and talked and had conversation and got to know each other a little bit better and There was one day where the conversation led in a way where it was just kind of like, wow, we all have similar shared experiences. We all like know we didn't know each other and we all have a different history, but we can all relate on this certain level. Um, And so that's kind of where the piece went. And um, I actually had them speak some of their conversations in, in the dance. Um, I wrote them down and anything that just kind of Mm. sparked my interest Sentence-wise, I would just write it down. And um, so the words actually came from their conversations. And I mean, I still don't think the piece has a total clear trajectory, but I kind of left it that way. Which is sometimes fine. On purpose. Mm-hmm. So after, you know, the piece was done and people would come up to me and ask me about it, everybody thought it was something different. And I was like, that's great. I'm glad that that's what you saw. Mm-hmm. And 
some people were like, well, it made me really uncomfortable. I'm like, that's great. I still am very glad that that's what you saw. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. But it, yeah. So it just kind of became this work that was like, we are all women so we can relate on this certain level, whether I came from here or came from there and I look like this or I don't look like this. And they just, there was, there's just so many things that we as women can just relate to. And so that's really, that's really the core of the work. And whether it reads that way or you think it's about something different. Yeah. So how do you feel overall after completing this process of this work for that semester? I am not mad about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the, that's the, one of the best things I can say is that I am not mad about it because I very, I have a hard time making things that I actually enjoy watching. (laughs) Mm, Why do you think that is? I think I'm, I'm definitely, I'm just my hardest critic. I think we all are, if I'm totally yeah. honest. It's really hard to not be. Mm-hmm. I just haven't totally, I don't think, found with choreography. I wouldn't say I feel this way in the other realms of things that I do relating to dance. But with choreography, I don't feel like I have found that, I don't, I don't know what to call it, that inner confidence, that sounds lame, the inner spark mm-hmm. <laughs> of what I do. Mm-hmm to totally, like, I don't even know if I'm fully invested in what I'm creating yet. And maybe that's the problem. Kind of like a, yes, I've created this, but like, why would anybody else want to see it? Oh, that's so how I feel too. It's like, how is my work any better? Or like, why would I justify someone seeing what, even if I enjoy it? Like, Mm -hmm. why why, why do you want to see this? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I'm confident in my administrative skills and the things that I do for Yeah, you're kick-ass in so many things. (laughs) And I'm confident in my, in my pedagogy and my teaching practice. I mean, I'm always, you know, changing it. And, you know, I I definitely fail sometimes. There are things that don't work and then you just learn from it. But I'm not afraid of that. Mm -hmm. For some reason, when it comes to choreographing, I'm afraid of making the things and flopping and people not wanting to see it mm-hmm. and what makes it good. I, it's, I, I just, think that's what makes an, dance oh, good. Yeah, that's, that's a whole nother added, topic. Oh, but that's such an added pressure with choreography because there's this whole <laughs> performative factor. Like when you choose to do certain thing and it's like people are paying to come see mm-hmm. this in a certain light. And it's like, there's all these extra levels to it. That I think yeah. makes it a little bit more intense than like you said, with all the other things that we do, mm-hmm. it doesn't have that, that performative factor I, uh, to it. And, it really is just a personal struggle because people can compliment the work or tell me they mm-hmm. enjoyed it all day long, but it's still there, that thought. And yeah. Like, and I feel oh, like is I, it good enough? I don't know. So, I've been trying to get out of my own way too, personally, and just like, you know what? I think when a work really pulls from yourself and you just do it and say, fuck it, like, (laughs) (laughs) then it just feels a little bit different. And like, it's good to get feedback and, you know, worry about the audience. But on the flip side, it's like, you know, we kind of just need to sometimes create things for ourselves too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you think it is, um, because all these other XYZ things that you do and hearing like your backstory, like you've been so heavily invested in doing them for so long. Do you think it's just like a a muscle, like um, choreographically, like you just haven't been doing as much, so it's a little bit more nerve-wracking, or is it just also just everything else we've been talking about? I guess that could definitely be a big factor and a big part of it, but at the same time, like I said, I I mean, I've essentially been choreographing since I was like Mm -hmm. 17, 18, but just like the caliber Mm -hmm. has changed. It's a much different way, yeah. Yeah. So much has changed that, I don't know, I just haven't quite figured it out yet. But also on the flip side, is this something that you see yourself wanting to continue to pursue? Because I feel like there's been so much pressure on 
to be a dancer choreographer or to be a dancer company director. Like you, you have to have this skill. Yeah. Like a jack of all trades. Yeah. Like you need to be able to choreograph in order mm-hmm. to be a su- considered a successful dancer or artist. Is that a feeling that you have or like, do you see yourself in the future choreographing more? Oh, more? Mm-hmm. Probably not. No. Okay. Yeah. Like ever? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like I definitely get the spark and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this, this is interesting me right now. I want to mm-hmm. be thinking about this. I've very much been influenced lately by water and have in the past created a lot of pieces revolving around bodies of water. And I feel like that is still an area of interest and somewhere I want to go. But like when that's going to happen, I don't know. So yes, I do definitely think I will choreograph more in my future, but something I really want to pursue, pursue, no, I think that fear will kind of always be there. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I look forward to those ideas ruminating and eventually see what comes out of it. Yeah. Oh boy. (laughs) So in your choreographic and teaching pedagogies, what other things do you like to focus on? Um... I, so when I was in grad school, I actually suffered and pushed through a lot of pain. I didn't have like an accident, I would say. Like there wasn't like one mishap that happened that totally, you know, moved around my spine. But um, I just like progressed over time, ended up with a lot of back pain. I ended up having um, some jammed vertebrae around my cervical and upper thoracic spine. And it was really debilitating for a while. Um, And I couldn't afford to seek treatment for the longest time. I mean, I was living in New York City trying to pay rent. um, Unfortunately, a big problem for performing artists. Yeah. So, I mean, we had a PT on site, but, you know, everyone was kind of vying for her attention and you could only, you know, go so many times. When I finally worked through a lot of it, because it really even debilitated the use of my arms, like even lifting my arms. Mm. Um, I mean, it's all connected. Right. (laughs) Thank you, Spine. Um, So once I was able to kind of come out of that and work through that, I realized that I was very interested in finding movement that was uh, pleasurable on the body and really working through in ways that prevented injury um, as much as possible. So I really just kind of started to dismantle the ways that I liked to move and figured out, okay, how could I make this even safer what are the exact joints and ligaments and just overall body parts that I'm using that can be softer and and finding ways to move that just, yeah, prevented injury. So yeah, I started dismantling and thinking about the ways that I liked to move, but then how could I make them softer? How could I make them safer? Safer was definitely a big word. I very much focus and appreciate and love to do floor work. Mm, girl saying um, mm-hmm. I love a good <laughs> where <role>. I live <laughs> and I love a good inversion I love to be upside down um I was actually a competitive gymnast as a child something I didn't oh, talk God about damn, but I know that yeah I gave it up I don't know why I gave it up to be honest <laughs> I was about to be like I gave it up because I have no idea I just kind of stopped <laughs> doing it one day but anyway so I used to you know flip and tumble and do all the crazy things on that you know three inch balance beam but so going upside down is definitely something I love to do So I love to teach it and it's definitely a part of my practice. So I just, I definitely focus a lot on um, teaching it safely um, because it's so easy for young dancers to imitate things that they're seeing and see dance just on YouTube and the internet, Mm -hmm. which is great. I'm so happy dance is accessible to the masses. (laughs) Yeah, but 
but it's so easy to just look and you know monkey see monkey do so i really try to monkey find do wrong monkey hurts see? me monkey has to go to hospital <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah thankfully i've never had that problem but um so yeah finding ways to teach all of these things in a safe manner so that you know prolong our bodies as long as we can and then you asked me what i was interested in my pedagogy so that's one <laughs> a long-winded number one um number two um like I said, when I moved back in 2017 to Detroit, I started diving into um, bringing my life and my identity into what I do. So a lot of that, I guess, kind of revolves around um, like the idea of breaking our, our gender norms within mm-hmm. dance, which there are a lot of great people out there that are doing that. So it's relatively new for me. But I'm very much interested in it and just thinking in like a gender neutral way with movement that I'm creating and allowing people to interpret it however they want to interpret it. I, yeah, and like I'm I'm very much over witnessing dance that is super... Um, Ingrained in heteronormative practices. Yes. Wow, thank you for those big words. I appreciate that. Because I'm my, over it too. <laughs> they were in my brain. I just couldn't get them out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I under like you know for years and years I've witnessed um, men partner women and you know women fall in love with men and I totally understand that that is obviously love for many people but for me that not that's for not what it no. looks like and so I'm personally just very much over always seeing that and like if there's a big lift or a big partnering section like is it always a male body lifting a female body and. Like I, like I said, I totally give credit and understand that that is what exists for many people, but it, it, it's not the only way. And yeah, there so, is a right for that space, but there's also a mm-hmm. right for all these other different mm-hmm. people and stories that should be told and needed to be told. Yeah. And just some things that are just so ingrained in the dance world, even going into ballet, which by the way, since if you haven't figured it out by now, cause I don't talk about it, ballet is not something that I do. <laughs> Um, I don't really do it and I don't teach it, but the fact that we have point classes for women and we have the men's classes for Mm -hmm. males and just the fact that, you know, they can come together in certain aspects, but then the genders are completely separated for other aspects. And when I was an undergrad, those classes were offered, like there was a point class and there was a men's class, um, but anybody could take them. Mm-hmm. So we definitely had male bodies on point and I myself took the men's class and it taught me how to jump and mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, I really learned how to get off the floor as much as I like to be on the floor. I learned and build, built strength that I needed to get off the floor and I loved that class. So I think it was my favorite, one of my favorite classes I took was men's ballet class. So I very much appreciated the freedom that I had for that and then um, I've been in other situations where that is like, you know, a big wrong um, mm. you know, men cannot be on point and, you know, vice versa. So, which I mean, granted, you know, there is anatomical structural differences, but I've seen some dope ass men on point shoes that are in complexions right now. And I'm like, people yeah. are doing it. You can do it. 100%. So it's like, I mean, I know there are people that will argue and fight this, this idea, you know, till the end of time, but like, who the fuck cares? And it's also like, you don't need to do it. Like, why can't other people do it? Yeah. I don't understand if it's not affecting you. Mm hmm. Let them live their life. So I just don't understand why we still have such a box when it comes to gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan. Me neither. Um, me neither. 
So like yeah. moving forward, how do you, I mean, this, we could talk about for hours and hours, but like, how do you think we can with, you know, either small or big steps immediately begin to dismantle this further as a dance community? Very heavy, big topic. Yeah, it's definitely a heavy question. And I don't think I have the answer. I mean, I know I know I don't have the answer. Mm-hmm. And as I said, this is just something I'm beginning to start to structure in my teaching practice and really highlight and bring to focus. So I'm very much at this time still kind of like reaching out and following some of my colleagues who are doing big moves in this. Do you care to do some name drop? Sure. Um, Christy Faulkner would definitely be a big one. Um, Performing with her, I feel like I've learned so much and... Uh, Because, I mean, we do a lot of queer identifying work in the company. And then um, there, you know, there are some bigger name companies who are doing big work out there, Um, like Mad Boots would be one. That's a company that I became familiar with living out in New York City. I believe they're an all-male company um, doing a bunch of breaking boundary work. And then um, actually, I have a colleague from grad school. Uh, His name is Donald Shorter Jr., And um, he currently is full-time faculty at Sam Houston State University and um, is doing so, like literally dedicating his life and his focus and all of his art to breaking gender norms. And um, he actually is recently featured in a dance magazine article. Um, Cool. And I will find that and make sure that's in the episode additional resources. Yeah, it's in the February edition. And I believe it was, it's called um, Throw Out the Binaries or something like that. Um, He was just recently interviewed by Dance Magazine and talking about all the work that he's doing on the scale that he has and that he, and that he can uh, reach. Um, And it's amazing. I love Donald. He is doing wonderful things. He has like a full show called Genderosity where he mixes his, you know, his dance work with his life and his drag work. And it's He's just a wonderful human being. I could brag about Donald all day long. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely check out that article. So there's definitely a lot of people doing great things out there in this way. And I'm I'm here to support that and figure it out too. Great, me too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just have a few final closing thoughts before we wrap up the podcast. So returning back to the land of Detroit. Sure. Do you have any, and it's okay if they're not specific, um, any hopes or dreams or thoughts about where we're going and moving as a dance community? I think we're moving in a great direction. Um, Considering when I first left Detroit in 2010, I left because I didn't know what was here. I mean, dance has always been here. Let's just put that on the table. Dance has always been in Detroit. But when I was graduating, I, you know, had been told, you know, you got to go find a job. You got to be a part of a company. And I just, I didn't know if those, I didn't see those opportunities here. Every dancer from here has been told that at least Mm -hmm. five to 10 times in their life. (laughs) And then here we are now 10 years later and there are so many companies. There are so many independent artists and um, just spaces where dance is happening. Mm -hmm. And that is beautiful. And like 10 years might sound like a long time, but it feels like it was just yesterday. So it's amazing how much has just happened in that time span, you know, and in it, my just eyes. Especially considering the city that we're in and just the economic growth we've had as just humans in Detroit. Oh, yeah. But like to also feel that boom in the dance community has been really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 
I'm really happy to see where we are when people that I know that are not from Detroit, like people that I've met in my traveling and, you know, the other places I've lived, when I tell them I'm from Detroit, they always are like, oh yeah, that must be so cool. Like I, like they've never been, like they know nothing about the city, mm-hmm. but everybody seems to have the same connotation that Detroit is a strong, hardworking place and everybody that lives here earns what they get. Mm-hmm. So that's, how cool is that? I mean, it's that's good just that really it's kind of translating. So it's just, yeah, <laughs> and it really is. And it's just beautiful. And so I'm really happy to see where Detroit has come. And I feel like it's going in a great direction. Um, haven't, you know, no one's told me otherwise. So I haven't witnessed otherwise. <laughs> but yeah I'm, yeah, I'm really happy about what's going on here. And I love it. And I just hope it continues to stay collaborative in the way that I've noticed. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I said, when I lived in Houston, I just loved how much of a gathering space it was. And everybody worked with everyone. Everyone knew each other. And there were these hubs and places to go. And everyone would just, you know, cultivate and network and get jobs together. And it was beautiful. And I feel like we are becoming that here in a sense where we now have so many, like I said, um, performance based companies and people who are doing side projects here and there and so no it's not maybe consistent work but you get to collaborate with so many more humans and so many more artists in that way and I feel like I don't that's the environment I want to be in mm-hmm. yeah and you're, you're helping make that happen in I, so many know, ways I'm doing what I can yeah and so I hope we just continue to be that whatever whatever the Detroit dance community becomes in the next 10 years I just really hope that we maintain this collaborative environment that we seem to be in right now and on that note I should also add I do one more thing that we haven't talked about oh and that is (laughs) with that beautiful woman who I've mentioned many times already Tracy Halloran um we together um two years ago created Detroit Dance Exchange which again is just another way of the community coming together and being collaborative so the Dance Exchange we created it as a way for because we noticed there's so many freelance artists in the city and there aren't too many companies where you, you know, sign a contract, you work with them for 10 months and then, you know, that's your, that's your gig. There aren't too many of those. So there are just so many smaller based companies who maybe don't have enough funding to put on their own full length concerts. So we wanted to have another opportunity where those people could all come together. Everyone could present a work. And we were also really interested in making it slightly different from other things out there by having um, community feedback. Mm-hmm. So with the dance exchange, people apply. We try to present as many artists as we can with the space that we have and the time frame that we have. And then anybody who comes to the show is considered the feedback audience. And everybody writes down, you know, comments, constructive criticism, and things that the artists will then receive anonymously at the end of the night and then can go back and revisit and continue working on the piece that they presented and Again, it just creates so much collaboration and networking. Yeah, and um, having participated in this last one this past yes, August, I can attest to all of this that mm-hmm. it was really nice after all of it to, you know, hear people's thoughts. Or you know, am I saying what I think I'm saying? How is this being received? And it's you can take it or leave it. It's mm-hmm. a very, um, it's not nice, but I mean, like it's not as pressure filled as if someone was to give you criticism to your yeah. face per se. Well, that's nice to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that it's working in that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and you can, as the artist, you can take it or leave it. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so the Detroit dance exchange happens every July. So be on the lookout for that. We're definitely coming back for 2020. So we'll have more 
info on that soon. Great. So I have two quick fan questions Ooh, that people fans. want to hear from you. Yeah, that's creepy. <laughs> Wait, cut that out. That <laughs> we love the fans. We love the fans. Okay. Okay. So I have Charlie Jade at Aradia underscore Echo. They ask, what was the coolest but also the hardest dance you have ever had to do or have wanted to do? It's a little bit of a two-part. Yeah. Have ever wanted to do? I feel like that's a a little spacey. I don't know if I can answer that one. Okay, then we can just stick to what has been the hardest (laughs) dance that you've ever had to do. So when I lived in Houston, um, like I said, one of the companies I danced with was called Sophania. And... I would just say everything we did in that company was generally really hard for me. It was my first time working solely with like contact improv. I felt I shouldn't say improv, like contact movement, mm-hmm. like pretty That's much a whole separate beast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. So I feel like almost every work we did very much was a partnership. You were always moving with someone or helping someone. And so I feel like everything I did in that time period was really hard. Um, because A, it was new for me and like, yeah, like you said, B, contact is a beast. hard, yeah. It's hard to, you know, move your own body sometimes. But actually, I would say the hardest thing I've ever done was, I'm trying to remember what year it was, but there's a wonderful little festival that happens out in Brighton, Michigan every year called Brighton Dance Festival, curated and founded by the wonderful Kathy King and... There was one year, uh, the, the festival was celebrating, I think it's fifth year anniversary, which now I think they're in year 10 or 11. So, you know, many moons ago, there was the five year anniversary of Brighton Dance Festival and Kathy wanted to have a kickoff concert. So generally the festival is just like a week or a few days of drop in classes and you get to learn and train from all these wonderful humans. And then there's like a little showcase at the end. But for the five-year anniversary, she wanted to have a kickoff concert where she hired a bunch of professional dancers. We rehearsed all summer and created a full-length show that was, I don't know, maybe an hour if I had to guess long. That was the hardest thing I have ever done in my entire life. Kudos to you, Kathy King. That was so (laughs) hard. Um, We spent all summer rehearsing, and I don't even know how many pieces we did. But um, getting through that concert was definitely the hardest thing ever. Um, I mean, it was a full-length show of contemporary jazz. Oof, that's stamina. Yeah, Oof. right? Like, at least in modern, you get your moments where you, like, probably just lay on the floor for two minutes or and, like, get to breathe. Intensely. Yeah, or find a moment of stillness. Isn't mm-hmm. that beautiful? Yeah, not in contemporary jazz. <laughs> not at all. Definitely worked my stamina. And I definitely remember at least one or two rehearsals where I had to like sit down because all the color had left my body and I was just panting and trying not to pass out. Stars were in front of my eyes, couldn't (laughs) see straight. That was rough, but a wonderful time because I met so many wonderful people that I'm still, you know, colleagues and working with in the community Mm -hmm. today. Um, So that was wonderful, but so hard. (laughs) I can't even remember the last time I've taken a class of that intensity level. (laughs) Kathy King, you're a beast. Okay, and I have one more question for you. Mm-hmm. I have another question, and I apologize if I say this incorrectly. Um, Heidi Lopser at Lopser Heidi. What are some of your memorable interactions with audience members? Oh, uh, mm-hmm. audience members. Mm-hmm. Breaking the fourth wall. Oh, boy. Um, wow. Nothing is coming to mind right away. I'm wondering, could this also be interpreted as you as an audience member with some other person's work? 
You can flip it. It doesn't have to be a work you've been in. Hmm. Uh, there was this one uh, moment where, so in a piece we do um, with Christy Faulkner Dance, um, it's called Four Letter Word. There is a moment where I kind of like suck on my finger <laughs> very uh, <laughs> enticingly <laughs> and intimately and then like, you know, pull it out of my mouth. And I remember when we were on tour a couple of years ago performing it in Minneapolis, there being this gentleman sitting in the front row right where my mark was to like stand and do that it was kind of like a again a all right let's sink or swim so I was like if I hold back it's not gonna it's not gonna read Mm -hmm. and then you know it's like well what was the point I just gotta do it so I had to do it right in this man's face and that was maybe going back to the previous question that might have been the hardest thing I've ever done (laughs) Difficult in a different way, like physically difficult. Yep, because not only was I 100% uncomfortable, but trying not to show it on my face, but that man was definitely 100% uncomfortable as well. So that was definitely a memorable interaction with an audience member, (laughs) to say the least. Hopefully that answers the question. (laughs) I think it does. I think it does. Yeah. Definitely was memorable because it popped up for you. Oh boy, yeah. Okay, well, do you have any final closing thoughts on things we have not covered yet? Nothing other than thank you for creating this podcast and starting conversations among the community. Because like I said, I love how collaborative we are in Detroit with the art we're making and the projects we're doing. And, you know, this is just another step amongst that. And um, of course, I'm I'm really happy to be doing this. We're never going to progress, not just in dance, but in anywhere in life. We're not going to progress unless we have conversations. And speak things into existence Mm -hmm. and make moves. So thank you for creating this. Yes, of course. I'm really happy to be sharing everyone's stories. Mm -hmm. And thank you for being on the podcast. Where can people find you and keep up with what you're doing? Hmm. Um, You know, I should probably have like a website or something like that. But Maybe we can work on that. I definitely don't. Yeah, let's work on that. (laughs) Um, But other than that, I'm a little social media illiterate. So you can find me on uh, Instagram and facebook and that's about it or we can keep up with collective sweat detroit oh yeah and detroit dance exchange and all those goodies thank you for throwing that in there (laughs) i definitely do a lot of things all right well i think this is where we are gonna hop off uh thank you Teresa Mueller. thank you thank you so much for listening to dance lips in detroit This is a reminder that all episodes will have a featured page on the website that houses both the episode itself, as well as any companion content such as pictures, videos, links, and anything important mentioned in the podcast. Please know that this podcast is very much a work in progress, and I am extremely open to any questions, suggestions, comments on your listening experience so far. So please feel free to email me at podcast at bimbocreations.com. That's podcast at bmbocreations.com. If you have enjoyed your listening experience so far, don't forget to rate and review the podcast five stars. This will help make it easier for others to come across the podcast and to learn about what's happening in Detroit dance. Be sure to follow Dance Lives in Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all your social media needs. On next week's episode, we continue with part two of three in CSD's interview series. Miriam Johnson sits down to share her dance story, as well as discuss some 
of the complicated tapestries and relationships we both share with dance.